We have been seeing in the, throughout the series of messages how on the Sermon of the Mount, God the Son, who came to earth, was revealing to us, expounding to us, telling us about God the Father's original intent when He gave those commandments to Moses. I don't think there's ever been a time in history, to my knowledge, and I know a little bit of history, where denomination after denomination after denomination that have become obsessed with what they call human sexuality. It occupies their convention time. It occupies their debates. It occupies their thoughts. They have made an idol of this issue, and they are now bowing to that idol and worshiping that idol. And I think I'm safe to say that today, many a church has erected and worshiped the idol called sexual revolution. And so many churches are bowing down to the new morality, which is nothing but the old biblical immorality. No wonder church after church have lost their grip on holiness and on sanctification. No wonder church after church have rejected biblical discipline and moral accountability. Are we surprised now that our society at large has dismissed the church as irrelevant and ineffective? Are we surprised? Are we surprised now that the evil forces are out to malign and muffle the voices of those who are Bible-believing Christians who are saying, thus says the Lord? Are we surprised? Look with me, please, at what Jesus said regarding the seventh commandment thou shalt not commit adultery. It's found in Matthew 5, verses 27 to 30. We have seen in this series of messages that God is concerned with the source of sin, that God is concerned with the origin of sin, that God is concerned with what leads up to sin, and you've got to stop it at the source. Again, in the last message, we saw also the absolute necessity of dealing with anger biblically, because if you don't deal with it biblically, you're going to get into trouble. In fact, here he tells us the absolute necessity of dealing with the thought that leads to adultery. It all begins with the eye. <laughs> the eye is very powerful. The eye is the gatekeeper to the thought. The eye is the key to the thought, and that is why our Lord starts there. Anger and sexuality and sexual conduct are two of the most powerful emotions. You don't think our Lord knew that? That's why He starts there? And yet, the person who allows anger to reign supreme in his or her life will soon find that they are controlled by anger and not controlling anger. And the same thing happens with sexuality. When you begin to allow that thought to possess you, it's going to lead to adultery. Listen, as Bible-believing Christians, we believe that sexuality is a gift of God. We believe that God created sex as a gift between husband and wife in a heterosexual marriage. 
And yet man perverted that gift as perverted all the other gifts. Don't ever forget, it is not Hollywood who created pleasure. It's God who created pleasure. And it is between man and woman in monogamous relationship, and it's delightful. God is the one who created us as sexual being. But that sexuality is only legitimized in heterosexual marriage. But listen to me. Just as anger has to be controlled by God's power and God's power alone working in us, so must also sexual attraction must be controlled by the power of God working in us. So what is Jesus saying here? He is interpreting the seventh commandment. He said, let me explain to you what my father meant by this. Here's his original intent. This is what he wants you to know. And he is saying that all of God's gifts come with operating manual. (laughs) All of God's gifts come with operating manual. You have to follow the operating manual. Otherwise, you'll be self-destructing. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 2 says, Each man should have his own woman, and each woman should have her own man. But there is something else that I need to make very clear right at the outset here. Jesus is not speaking about normal attractions. That's not what he's talking about. He's not even talking about the temptations that we all face. He's not even speaking about the thought that is fleeting. Now, he's talking about being obsessed with someone who is not your husband or your wife. The Greek word means to persist in leading into enticement. It is obsession that comes day and night thinking that I must have that person, I must have that person. But I must hasten to say that all of this begins with emotional intimacy. Because sometimes we don't keep an eye on that one, and then it trips us. You see, any emotional intimacy, other than with your spouse, is the first step to adultery. Husbands and wives, listen to me. I'm going to say more about this in the next message when Jesus talks about marriage and divorce. But we must learn how to affair proof our marriages. And the best way to affair-proof your marriage is not to get emotionally hooked with somebody who's not your spouse. Because of that relationship between the eye and the heart, the eye and the heart, that's the situation. This is the relationship that Jesus is talking about here, which gives us the next two verses, which if you don't listen very carefully— you might misunderstand those two verses, 29 and 30. (laughs) They're very important, very important. If your right eye… You see, back then they thought anything left is sinister. (laughs) If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and throw it away. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. And that is why this really needs a huge explanation. (laughs) I hope you're listening. It needs a huge explanation, because I can tell you if this is meant to be taken literally, just about everybody everywhere is eyeless, handless, 
and legless. And that's why we send people to seminary. We spend money on them, and they take years of studying in seminary so they can study Greek and Hebrew, study the languages in which the Bible was originally written. Why? Because not understanding the original meaning of the text, in fact, throughout history, it led to the rise of many cults and many false teaching when they don't understand the biblical language. In the Hebrew language, there is a figure of speech known as the Hebraic hyperbole. What is that Hebraic hyperbole? It's a form of speech that uses dramatic form of speech to highlight a point. Like a dear friend of mine, a pastor says, I am not exaggerating, I'm just blowing it up so you can see it. This type of speech is the very opposite of what our generation is now thinking and striving. What do I mean by that? Instead of pampering and indulging ourselves, we need to exercise self-discipline, self-denial. And we need to understand that Jesus is not recommending mutilation, but mortification. Jesus is not recommending mutilation, but a resolute determination to reject sinful practices. It is not mutilation that He's recommending, but dying to self-indulgence and instant gratification. Here's the point. If there's an area where temptation comes through the eye, don't look. Pretend you're blind. That's really what it means. If your hands that caused you to sin in the past tempt you, pretend that you're paralyzed. Put your hands in your pockets. If your feet took you to places that caused you to sin in the past, pretend that you can't walk. Here's what Jesus is saying to every believer. Listen to me. Heaven and your heavenly reward is far, far more important than any temptation. Heaven and your heavenly reward is far, far, far more important than temporary gratification. Eternity and eternal reward infinitely longer than any momentary pleasure. In fact, Jesus is saying more than that. He is saying that it is better to accept alienation by the world than risk losing your heavenly reward. It is better to accept cultural amputation in this world than risk the loss of your eternal reward. It is better to be prudish in this world than experience the test of fire at the end times. Question, what is that test of fire that Jesus is talking about? Well, most of you know this, but in case you don't know, all the believers have escaped the judgment of hell. Therefore, there is no condemnation upon those who are what? In Christ Jesus. But every believer in Jesus is going to stand before a judgment seat that is different from the judgment of the world, will be judged in a different way. And it's to do with our eternal reward. 
The Apostle Paul gives us an explanation of that in chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians, particularly verse 15. He gives us really an imagery that will help us understand what this judgment seat of Christ is all about. It's if Christ is going to light a torch, a fire, to every one of our works and how we lived our lives, He's going to light a fire, and every believer's work will be tested. What we've done in the flesh, how we lived our lives, have we been faithful or unfaithful? All the believer's deeds will be tested by fire. Imagine the lightning of that torch for the life works that you and me have been building through the year on the foundation of Christ. If your work has been for the glory of God, serving God, denying yourself for the sake of Christ, that fire is going to make you shine as the fire does to gold and silver. But for those who have indulged themselves and pleased themselves and not Christ, our work will light up that fire as if it's a dry hay or straw. It will burn. Some people are going to be walking around heaven smelling like fire. Here's what he said. We will be saved as by escaping through the flames. The Lord is talking about this judgment seat of Christ, in front of which every believer is going to stand. Every believer is going to stand. 2 Corinthians 5.10, he says, Each one of us will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Each one of us will receive what is due to him or her for the things done in the body, whether good or bad. And so here in Matthew 5, 29 and 30, this very difficult two verses, Jesus is not speaking about being saved or lost. He is speaking of the kingdom of God. And the assumption here, because he's speaking to his followers who are already saved, in other words, he's saying to the believers, hear me right, please, hear me right. It is of uttermost importance to demonstrate the righteousness of Jesus Christ that He imputed on you, the righteousness of Jesus Christ that He gave you, the righteous robe of Jesus Christ that surpasses that of the Pharisees. He is saying, this is a serious business. Don't take it lightly. And that is why, back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10, Paul goes on to say, be careful. How are you building your life? How are you using your time? How are you using your energy? How are you using your talent and the gifts? How are you using your treasure? He said, be careful how you build. You and I builders, we're building every day. Self-indulgence or self-denial? Self-pleasing or Christ-pleasing? Self-gratification or self-discipline? It's a superstructure that each of us are building in our lives? Is it gold and silver of faithfulness or a straw and hay of unfaithfulness? Is it the gold and silver of righteousness of Christ or the straw of seeking our own happiness? Someone would say, well, Michael, 
Jesus is setting forth an impossible standard. Uh, no one can follow. And if that is your question, let me tell you, you are absolutely 100% correct. <laughs> Beloved, listen to me. Sin in any form, any form, any form, is so subtle and so deceiving, and none of us can deliver ourselves from its clutches. Let me tell you that this impossibility that Jesus has set forth is twofold. Listen carefully. Twofold. First, Jesus wants all men, women, boys, and girls to despair of their own righteousness and seek His righteousness. And secondly, our Lord's remedy to our sinful heart is a new heart, is a new heart. People who say, oh, I'm good, I haven't done anything bad, not, not really something very, very bad. I kept the golden rules, and, you know, God will have to let me into my heaven. Listen to me. Please, please, please let me plead with you. Think again. Most people who say these kinds of things, I'm okay, I'm good, they can't even live up to their own standards, let alone the standards of Christ. So what some of them try to do in order to keep people happy, they lowered the bar all the way to the ground so they tell people, well, step on it, over it, and you'll be fine. Oh, they're going to pay. Just wait. The day of judgment is coming. This is tragic because all they're doing is allowing people to dig deeper and deeper holes. And that is why sometimes you see them angry and call the Bible-believing Christians' names. They're expressing their anger because we would not allow the lowering of the bar. And we confess our sinfulness without Christ and inability to save ourselves without Christ that only His righteousness is going to take us all the way home. I'm getting close to the end. I don't want to lose you in this last part here. Because I want to speak to the person who is unfaithful to his or her marriage vows. I want to speak to you for a minute. You cannot sin deeper or further than God's grace. Did you get that? Our God is a bondage breaker. Come to Him confessing and repenting. And the Bible said His blood will cleanse us from all. How many? all unrighteousness. And so let me finally tell you about a man whom we know as St. Augustine. <laughs> he was far from being a saint. He was a playboy, adulterer, and he lived a wild life. He comes from what's modern-day Algeria and Tunisia, that area in North Africa. He was living this wild life. Meanwhile, in North Africa, his mother, Monica, was crying tears over him and pleading with God to save him. And God heard her prayer. And he was thoroughly converted to Christ, thoroughly converted to Christ. And immediately, his life began to change, began to change. He rejected his former lifestyle and began to live for Christ. One day after that happened, 
He was going back to Rome for business. He was discipled by a godly bishop in Milan, actually. But he was in Rome. And as he was walking in the streets of Rome, a voice of a woman in the back who recognized him, and she said, Augustine, Augustine, is that you? He turned around and said, yes, that's me. And then when he saw her, he recognized this is the woman that he was shacking up with for a long time in his past. And he began to run and run. And he called back and said, it's not I, it's not I, but Christ lives in me. Only Jesus can set us free. Only Jesus can set us free. Father, without you and the power of the Holy Spirit, we cannot hack it. Father, without your righteousness, we are dead in the water. The righteousness of Jesus Christ, we come in confession and we come in repentance. Lord, I know repentance is painful because any purging is painful. And so we come to you in the name of Jesus and we ask you for your help and your strength. For I pray this in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.